Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. setting up this series on emotion commotion and and um, and the reason why is I've looked out over the body of Christ and I looked out over the what we would refer to as the secular world that is people that are not religious not following Christ and, and what I've noticed is that a lot of us struggle we struggle with our emotions we, we don't know how uh, to handle them uh, and so you know, sometimes we will repress them uh, and reject our emotions. A lot of the older generation was trained and taught to do this. Just push it down, pretend you're not feeling anything. That is uh, monumentally unhealthy for you and for the people that are stuck being around you. Uh, the other school that I've noticed is this, and probably in the younger generation, and my generation maybe leans a little bit more toward this way, is that uh, you're feeling everything intensely, and uh, you are just letting it out, man. Just let it all out. It doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter what's going on around you, man. You, you have feelings, and you should feel them, and so should everyone else around you. Uh, the problem with that is uh, maybe in both cases, this might look like uh, you, um, let me give you an example of uh, how not to be emotional, how not to handle your emotions. The other day, my son Nate said, Jesus took the name of the Lord in vain. And I flipped out on him, and uh, I sent him to his room. He said, Jesus. And do you remember that, Nate? Um, I'm going to clear this whole thing up, so just hold on. Because he's like, Dad, what are you saying? Uh, and so <clears throat> I angrily, listen, uh, if somebody in the world takes the name of Jesus in vain, that's between them and, and God one day at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not my business. But my family, that's my business. And so I sent him to his room, and he said, yeah, but Dad, uh, Dad, I, I didn't mean Dad. I, I go, I don't want to hear it. You go to your room. That was not quite, I mean, it wasn't like that. But um, I didn't hit him. I didn't strike him. But I didn't listen to him either, and I sent him to his room, and I was angry. And then I come over to church, because now I'm going to preach. And uh, then I see him in the church house, and I go, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Did I tell you you could leave your room? Mom told me. Now I'm like, oh, really? Mm, 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 mm. Well, now I have time to cool down, so I start having a conversation with my boy, and he says, Dad, Dad, I didn't say Jesus. I'm like, I, I heard you. And he said, Dad, I said, Jesus is 
that show, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what that last half was, but it was Jeez is. He didn't say Jesus. He just said, Jeez, is this serious or whatever? And so I heard the two words run together, and I thought he took the name of the Lord in vain. Was I wrong? Was I wrong, Nate? Amen. And my son did not take Jesus' name in vain. How did I react? Did I react well to my anger? You think I reacted well? I didn't listen to him. I didn't reason it out. My reason, my intellect, and my will checked out of the situation. And my anger took control. And I hurt my son. I didn't hurt him by hitting him. I didn't hurt him by striking him. But I hurt him by not listening to him and not showing him respect that he deserved. I harmed my son that way. So what I did was, and I apologize for using you this morning as an example, buddy. What I did was I apologized. Dad was wrong. I should have listened before I reacted. This is the problem that we have. Have you, have you ever hurt someone because you lost your temper? Said things that you should not have said? You need this message. You know, whether you meant him or not, belittled your wife, belittled your husband. We tend to think of the husbands as the abusive ones in relationships. But there's a lot of language that wives use toward their husbands, degrading them and belittling them. I've even experienced listening to a wife call her husband stupid and dumb in front of people. Harmful things. Have you ever, have you ever, um, well, let me ask you, what, is this, what does this picture make you feel? What do you think about this picture? What was that? Volleyball. Volleyball. Can you see the girl in the background sitting with her head down? And... No, okay. I'm like, that's an interesting way of playing volleyball. <laughs> and this is a picture of a girl who's in love with someone who is not good for her. You ever love someone that you knew was wrong for you, but you just loved them? I'm so in love. And he loves me. Yeah, but he belittles you and he treats you like garbage, but I love him. And I know he'll grow out of it. Listen, I've been a pastor since 1998, youth pastor and senior pastor. And um, Honey, he's probably not going to grow out of it. And if you're married to him, you need to have some counseling. You ever love somebody you know, you're just like, oh, why do I love this person? How can I stop? What should I do? And you just follow your heart. And you find yourself in a relationship that's destructive. The Bible says in Jeremiah, the heart of a man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And yet what I see on television constantly and see in the movies constantly is this. Are you ready for it? Follow your heart. Now, if you've been redeemed and you've been saved, you have a new heart. And the challenge as a believer is following the new heart, not the old heart. And we are taught to follow our hearts without our will. 
and without our intellect, without reason. I was listening to my daughter talk to somebody, and um, she was, uh, we were having this conversation, actually. She was telling me what she said to her friend, and she was saying that her friend was involved with someone that was not good for her, but her friend was just so in love with this person, and my daughter said this, your parents don't like him, my parents don't like him, none of your friends like this guy, that should tell you something. Can I get an amen? amen? We've got to employ reason and will as we deal with our hearts. Otherwise, our hearts can lead us into some very difficult places. How about this? You ever felt overwhelming sadness and hopelessness? You ever find yourself, you're just in this place, and maybe you, you don't even really understand why but you're just overwhelmed and you have this sense of discouragement and hopelessness and you're just spiraling in this dark cloud i was about four or five weeks ago my emotions were riled up and and i examined my emotions under the light under the light of the word of god and under the light of my behavior and I was able to correct my course. But sometimes we get so consumed that we lose our way. Emotions are a big deal. They're a big deal. How about this? You ever struggle with ungodly desires? Self-loathing. You feel despicable, incompetent, broken, and you're consumed with these emotions. How do we deal with them? This is not a group counseling session, but I will tell you this. We're told to preach the whole counsel of God. And what God's word touches upon, we preach and feel the freedom to speak upon. And God talks about emotions. As a matter of fact, if you're struggling with emotions, I would recommend you read the book of Psalms. Psalms is an emotional book. And it's full of wonderful prayers and songs. And it's full of examples of men dealing with their emotions. So I want to start here. Let's kind of set things up with a proper foundation. And that's this. Emotions are godly. Now, I know I've got some of the guys in the house today. And they're like, I don't need no stinking emotions. Right? You want to be Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. You want to be Spock. All reason, no emotion. Emotions are not good. I used to go to a summer camp with teens and the pastors that were running the camp. They would get all upset about emotional decisions. I don't want emotional decisions from these kids. We need these kids to make real decisions that stick. And I'm thinking, when you ask your wife to marry you, do you think there was any kind of emotion behind that, driving that decision? Or was it all reason? Well, she's got long legs, she's blonde hair, blue eyes, she looks like she's got birth and hips. I think I'm going to marry this book. Right? I mean, it was all emotion. You know, that's not even in my notes. I don't know. I get some of the teens going, <laughs> listen, I was at an NF concert. If you don't know what it is, YouTube it, and I get father of the year for not only taking my son, but getting him out alive. I'm a little tired this morning, 
But you know what I'm saying, right? You made a decision to marry your wife. It wasn't all logic and reason and intellect. I'm certain that there was some, an emotional component that helped you make that decision and keep that decision. Emotions are godly. Emotions are good because they're created by God as part of our humanity. So innately, they're, they're good, like your hand. Look at your hand. Everybody put your hands up. Come on now, don't be a bunch of dis, uh, rebellious people. Put your hands up. Look at your hand. Ooh, now some of you guys, you got arthritis, and you're like, my hand ain't so good. I'm telling you, the creation of your hands is a good thing. It's a good creation, is it not? We even, as humans, we got the, the thumb, the opposable thumb. We can grasp things. Some of us, right, we use our hands better than other people. Like Adam St. Louis is an artist, and I'm kind of an artist, and we can do things with our hands that we really enjoy, and other people look at it and say, wow, how'd you do that? And you're like, I use my hand. Now, your hand, it can do something good, like it can draw, it can paint. Laurel Gagnon came in fourth place in the International Young Violinist Competition, right? Her mom was telling me that she was a dark horse. Nobody expected her to, to continue to progress. And that girl, man, I, she used to play on our worship team, and it was really me and Jerry tutoring her that got her to the place <laughs> where she... No, it was I always feel bad. I'm like, we're so proud of you. And I'm like, why am I saying I'm proud of her? Like, I had something to do with her amazing accomplishment. I don't know what else to say except, dude, you're just amazing. Um, she uses her hands to play that violin in just uh, an amazing way. Her hands and her mind and her heart. And I've, I grabbed a still of one of her performances, and I'm working on painting it on my, on my iPad. And... Uh, it's just amazing, but then you have some people like, um, hey, can you pop it to the angry lady slide? First slide, roughly. You got some people that they use their hands like that. They use their hands like that. And they, and they hurt and harm people. So your hand is good, a good creation and a good gift of God, right up until the point where you don't use it in a good way. Back to emotions are good. Um, they're created by God. So innately, they're this, this good gift to us. And just like everything else that God gives us, the gift of our appetites. Appetites are good right up until the point where you become a glutton. You know what? It's okay to enjoy your food. God created us with taste buds and sensation of being full and it's okay to enjoy our food right up until the point where we become a glutton and the food begins and our appetite begins to control us so it is with emotions so we have this good creation from god and and they can teach us things about ourselves and our environment they can help us make decisions and stick to them they can help us discern god and his will and other things when they're combined with reason and intellect more on that later and without emotional stability, we suffer, our families suffer. And I want to talk about what the Bible teaches a little bit on emotions. So first of all, number one, emotions are godly. How do I, how do I know that? How can I say that? Well, I say it by saying this, God created you. Did God create you? Did God create humankind? Yes or no? At the end of the week, what did he say? He finished creating everything, and he said it was, it was good, it was very good. 
Does that include emotions? Of course it does. He created you, your emotion, your intellect, your will. He created you. He gave you life. And so we know because he created us, it's very good. But um, not only uh, are they good, but they are exemplified. Emotions are godly and good, but they're exemplified by God himself. Now, is God good? The Bible says, ready for it? I know it's going to shock you. God is good. That's what the Bible says. God is good. So sometimes we look at the world and we're like, oh, how can so many horrible things be happening? Because the devil is bad. And so the devil is bad and the curse, because man is bad, the curse was brought upon the world and man is bad and the devil is bad, so bad things happen. So anytime you see a good thing happen, give God glory that it is evidence that God is good in spite of this horrible, wicked world. Good things still happen. That's really cool. Now, let's take a look at Psalm chapter 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord. Now, who is he talking about? The Lord, our maker, who is he talking about? God, the creator, God, the father, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness. He's talking about when the Israelites had rebelled against God, and he sent them to wander around in the wilderness. I mean, there was no Siri. Well, maybe there was Siri. Because uh, Apple Maps, eh, they were probably following Apple Maps and they didn't have Google to get them to the promised land, right? So they're wandering around in the desert for 40 years and God disciplined them that way, punished them that way because they rebelled him when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work, right? Though they saw my work was good, they tested me and they tried me. And so for 40 years, I was, what what does that word say? What was God the maker, the Lord the maker, the creator of the universe? What was he? Is that an emotion? God was grieved with that generation and said, it's a people who go astray in their hearts and they will not know, they do not know my way, so I swore my wrath, they will not enter my rest. God was grieved. God was grieved. Is that an emotion? Peg said, survey says, God was angry. God was angry. God was grieved. So for those that feel like emotions are a waste of my time, I don't need emotions, they're not important to me, emotions are bad. Bad emotion. God expressed emotions. God feels Things. It's part of what makes him a living being. Will, intellect, and emotion. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up and sit up late and to eat the bread. Rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Now, let me press pause here. I'm going to chase a little rabbit. Oh, there he is. Um, those of us that struggle with anxiety, those of us that struggle with worry, those of us that struggle with it's all on me, it's all on my shoulders, I gotta fix everything, I gotta do everything. This psalm should be something that you meditate on, hide it in your heart, memorize it. It's vain for you to rise up early. It's vain for you to stay up late and to be constantly in this state of anxiety and worry because God gives his beloved sleep. You want to entrust the building of your house 
to the hands of the one that loves you. Now, this is where I said it's really important for us to get to know our Lord and Savior and the creator of the universe. Because if he's not the Lord of our lives, if he's not the king of our hearts, who is, right? We are, or worse, we give the leadership of our heart over to the enemy. And then we find ourselves bound by chains of anxiety, bound by chains of lust, bound by chains of anger, out of control. We find ourselves bound. And I'm convinced a big part of the reason why we have not entrusted our lives into the hands of the Lord is because we do not truly know him. I mean, we know him in salvation, but we have not progressed to the point where we understand this. God loves you. Oh, his beloved, his beloved, what does that say? Beloved, God loves you, God is love. First John teaches us this, that God is love, and you are his beloved, you are his beloved. Get this now, God loves you, God loves you more than you love you. God loves you with a perfect love. A love that is absolutely perfect, that motivates, that motivates him to do things with you, through you, and in you. God's love motivates him to be involved in your life. Can I get an amen? Some of y'all are going, I'm not so sure. And the reason why you're saying that is because you've not, you've not investigated it for yourself and you've not assimilated it into your own life. And listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, you're not alone. And it's a lifelong journey to begin to understand the depth of God's love for his children and those that have come to Christ for salvation. So God, we've seen, is emotional. He's got emotions that are on display, written in the record of Scripture, that God is love and that he expresses his love. You are my beloved. That's an intimate caring uh, word. He was angry, right? We see God is love. God is angry. Um, we see that God was grieved. There's just a few examples. Pulling up. Uh, let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. The joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be joyful. There's times where the Spirit of God, matter of fact, it's interesting, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I mean, I think sometimes when we think about God, right, we think about God, how many of you, in th when you think about God, one of the first things that comes to your mind is joy, when you think about God, how many of you feel like well, the first thing that comes to your mind is, oh, God is joy? Nobody's raising their hand. How many of you think God is love? Several raising. How many of you think God is angry? Now, you're not going to raise your hand because you're like, I don't raise my hand. How many of you think God has got a big club and he's waiting to bash you over the head when you mess up? That's a wrong view of God. The Holy Spirit brings joy to the hearts of his believers because he is 
at times joyful. At other times, we're going to see something else about the Spirit. Uh, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and oh, there's that. Do not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may be grieved. So this is an emotion of great sorrow. When you think about grieving, you think about a funeral where a loved one has passed and there's grieving in the hearts of people, right? John chapter 11. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, Mary's brother died, okay? We talk about grieving. The family is grieving. And, and sometimes when you're grieving, if you're not, your, your grief is not under the control and restraint of your reason and intellect, you might say some things that maybe seem out of place. And she's like, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? We sent a message to you, right? When they, when they knew Lazarus was, had taken ill and he was really, really sick, they sent a message to Jesus. The message got to Jesus in time and Jesus delayed leaving where he was at. This is the story. He waited Right? He's got the message, hey, your buddy, Laz it's one of his best friends, Lazarus is sick. We're really worried about him. We think he might even die. What does Jesus do? Dude, I'm on my way. No, he waits. He gets there. By the time he gets there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came for her weeping, with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and he was troubled. These are emotions. He was riled up. He was moved. He was troubled. And he said, where have you laid them? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And they said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and, he, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And the rest of the story is he shouted out to that tomb, Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus got up and rose from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Now, we can, uh, we can, we can debate all day of why was Jesus weeping? Why was Jesus groaning in the Spirit? Was he moved because his friend had died? Was that why? We don't really know the whys here. Part of it might be because he was weeping over their lack of faith in him to have resolved the situation even though he was four days late, right? He'd been dead for four days. Maybe he was grieving over that. Or maybe this. Maybe he was just grieving because they were grieving. The Bible says, weep with those who weep, right? Maybe he was just grieving because he was compassionate for their loss. But we know this, Jesus wept an expression. Weeping is not the emotion. Weeping is the expression of the emotion. We're going to talk about that later on in the series. Good expressions, bad expressions, when to express, when not to. But Jesus wept. He groaned in his spirit. He was troubled. And Jesus, make no doubt about it, loved. He loved this family. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus 
were very close to Jesus. As a matter of fact, their home, Bethany, was sort of his home base when he was preparing to go to the cross to be crucified. He would go back and forth from their house to Jerusalem, their house to Jerusalem. I think about a mile and three quarters from Jerusalem. He walked that dusty road, walk back, walk back, walk back. This was a, a base of operations. It was a family he was close to. He loved them. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Oh, say it with me. He was moved with what? Compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful and the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus was moved with compassion. And as a pastor, I can tell you that I've been to churches that didn't have a pastor, and I have a shepherd's heart. And you see these pastorless churches, and I'll tell you, as a shepherd, it just moves me. I want to do something. I just I feel this, this compassion for these people that are wandering and struggling, and they need a preacher and a shepherd to bring the word of God to light in their lives. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at this multitude and he sees they're lost and they're wandering and he has a heart of a shepherd and he's just moved with compassion. And he says what? Pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. There need to be more shepherds come into the world to proclaim my gospel. And we need to pray for that. He was moved with compassion. John 2, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. Now, I've got to press pause here because you've got to understand the context here. In the house of the living God, there were these racketeering artists. They were selling sheep and dove and oxen for sacrifice. And they were price gouging people that came to purchase these supplies for the sacrifice to make atonement for their sin or to celebrate the forgiveness of their sin or just to give God honor and glory with a free will sacrifice. And these people had come into the house of God and they were abusing the people that were coming to sacrifice to God. They were abusing them. And so Jesus comes in. Let me tell you something. One of the things that riles Jesus up is when you impede people's way to him and the Father, right? When you set up barriers between people and God, you want to rile Jesus up. One of the few times that he sharply rebuked his disciples was when they tried to keep the children from coming to him, right? When we try to keep people from coming to Jesus, we set up these barriers and we do these things that make it difficult for them to come worship God. We're not in God's favor in that moment. He had, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and with, and with the sheep and oxen and poured out the chargers, the changers money and he overturned tables and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And he was angry. The disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, I would, I would, listen, I would postulate this, that Jesus, although he was violent in this moment, was under complete control. And he was making a point using a drastic behavior. Jesus, see, he's a perfect man. He was under complete control. 
But I'll tell you what, he was passionate and he was teaching us something about the house of God. We should be passionate about the house of God. He was passionate, he was angry, he wasn't out of control. But he displayed his anger in an appropriate way. So, what are we saying? First of all, emotions are good. And secondly, as we've discovered in just these few passages of Scripture, emotions are godly. So some that are here this morning and you're, you're kind of on the fence about whether emotions are good or bad and I really don't want to deal with my emotions, I'd rather just run the other way. And um, you think that people that display emotions, you think they're weak, right? Um, you're wrong. You're wrong. When people that display emotions are weak, you're wrong. If you're one of the men that are here and you're like, real men don't try. Uh, I think Jesus was way more of a man than any of you are. And Jesus cried. Wept. Real men don't express love. Jesus loved his disciples. John laid his head on Jesus' breast, on his chest, at the Last Supper. He displayed affection when he stood with Peter. And he said, do you love me? And Peter's like, I love you. And, and he went through this whole conversation with Peter after Peter had betrayed him, just like said, I never knew you. And, and, and Peter had really just blown it. Jesus displayed affection by restoring Peter to complete status within the church. Matter of fact, elevated Peter among the other disciples. He showed affection. He showed sorrow and grief. He displayed anger. Now here's the point, and you've seen it on the screen, and you're sitting there and waiting for me to say something about it, and it says it all. Our emotions, just like our hands, can either be harmful or they can be helpful. And the unfortunate truth is there's so many people stuck in the grip of emotions, living their lives without restraint or reason, that they're harming, they're harming themselves and many times harming everyone around them. I said a moment ago, I, I know of a wife who would just look at her husband and call him stupid, dumb, belittle him. I know of another situation where, where uh, if a husband doesn't get his way, maybe the wife does the checkbook and she says, honey, we just don't have the money for you to get this. The husband throws a temper tantrum. A grown man stomps around the house, slams the cabinet doors, yells at the kids because his wife's keeping the checkbook and she's just being honest with him saying, sweetheart, <laughs> we just don't have the money for you to get that item. Throws a temper tantrum. Emotions without restraint, out of control. Guys, they can be harmful or they can be helpful. And so emotions being the gift and creation of God should hold an important place in our lives. They, they help us act they can give us insight 
as we try and seek to bless others, our own emotions can give us insight into the hearts and minds of other people. They're connected to the Holy Spirit, but they should be and must be under his influence. There was a book I was reading for one of my, my um, university courses, and it was uh, the, the author's name is Peter Scazzaro, and it's, the book is um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And Sadly, this is what he said. I, think, I can think of a number of non-Christian people who are more loving, balanced, and civil than many church members I know, including myself. And sometimes that's a sad reality, is, is sometimes spiritual people use that excuse not to rein in and, and live a balanced, healthy, emotional life. And I would argue with this. I would argue this point. That if you are emotionally unstable, emotionally immature, you are probably spiritually immature as well. The two are connected. And so I want to start by way of encouragement the, this beginning message of the series. First of all, I want you to understand that you're not alone. To some degree or another, we are all the same. I'm pretty certain I'm not the only person that didn't listen to his son one day and made an idiotic assumption, acted on that moronic assumption, and caused some pain to his child. Can I please get an amen? Can you be more convincing? I don't want to be alone. Help me help you. Okay, um, you're not alone. Uh, maybe you're here and you're the one that just, you push everything down, you don't want to deal with it, and then you explode, and everybody goes running. You are not alone. Can I get an amen on that? You're not alone. But God's word has so much to say about our emotional health. It's not, ob it's not always obvious on the surface. But there are so many places in Scripture that give us plenty of warnings and counsel on how to deal with our emotions and how to be healthy when we're engaged in them. In the case of the Israelites, their, their ungodly desires, the emotion of lust, led them to worship other gods. They desired to play instead of work. They desired security instead of the Lord. In the case of the disciples, fear of the unknown had them cowering in the upper room. Had them doubting the testimony of women that they should have trusted. When the women came running back from the empty tomb saying, he's risen, they didn't believe it. Fear had gripped their hearts. You follow? We're not alone. We're not alone on the boat. When they saw Jesus walking on the water, what did they say? <gasps> it's a ghost. When the storms were crashing around them, they were terrified, out of control. And yet Jesus was in the boat with them. And they had seen these miracles that Jesus had done. But fear had gripped their hearts. In Jonah... Bitterness and anger ruled his heart. 
to the point when God said to Jonah, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to them repentance. Because if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy that city. And Jonah's like, they're not going to repent anyways. Here's the backstory to this. That city, Nineveh, and the people of that nation would raid into Israel. And they were butchers, and they were ruthless people. And God called Jonah to go to his enemy and to preach repentance to his enemy. And Jonah did not want to go. He was angry. How can you ask me to preach to someone that I hate? Andy Stanley, the preacher of the gospel down in Georgia, got no end of grief for going to a prayer breakfast for President Barack Obama from Christians. How dare you? I love his response. If I only preach to people that agree with me, I'm going to have an awfully small group of people that I'm preaching to and talking to. Bitterness took hold of Jonah to the point where the end of the story of Jonah, it's not really a happy ending for Jonah. It's a happy ending for Nineveh. There's a man in the, in the New Testament, his name is Simeon. He'd seen the apostles casting out demons and healing people, and he's like, he took money, he, was gonna, he wanted to pay them. He was going to give them money, give me this power, give me this power so I can do this. He was a former magician, and he saw they had real power. He offered her money, he was jealous and envious, greedy for power and greedy for status. Folks, emotions running out of control are all through the word of God. Joseph's brothers. Joseph is, a, is an Old Testament saint. He was one of the most archetypical types of Christ. He, he, he is one of the few people in the Old Testament that you really don't see any fault in. Although he was human, so we know he had fault. And I, I hypothesize that his fault was this. Hey, brothers who I know are jealous of me. I had a dream that I was the moon and you all bowed down to me. Maybe not a sin, but not the brightest moment in Joseph's life. What did they do? These brothers of his. They became envious. They were already envious and jealous. And that jealousy and that envy ramped up and it mingled with anger. And they got together. The, the ten of them got together and they were so angry. How dare he? He's our younger brother. So they threw him into a pit and they started talking about, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And then a couple of the older brothers were like, dude, we can't kill him. He's our brother. And I can imagine he's in this pit going, yeah, go Reuben. You tell him, Reuben, Judah, stand up for me. And they're like, oh, well, all right, we won't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery instead. That's a great idea. Emotions took hold of their heart, bitterness, anger, jealousy, and propelled them to a decision that nearly ruined their lives, nearly ruined their father's life. But God took what men meant for evil and turned it, flipped the script, and used it for good. So you're here this morning, and you're saying, boy, pastor, my emotions have been in control, and I'm just, I'm really struggling with this. And maybe you've done some harm in your life. Maybe you've harmed others, harmed yourself. Let me tell you something. Here's the hope. 
just like with Joseph and his brothers. God can take what was meant for evil. He can take the things you've broken, the messes that you've made, and he can flip that script, and he can make them into miracles. Man, God is a God of the impossible, and God is good, and God is great. So what do we take away from this morning? Emotions are not evil. They're not useless, but they shouldn't be repressed. They shouldn't be dismissed. They should be under the hand and influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then this, they are from God, they are of God, and they are like God. So we need to be like the Lord in how we handle our emotions. Now I mentioned a moment ago that our, Holy, that, that our emotions ought to be under the, under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. And this is the sad part about Peter Cesario's quote, that in his experience, he's seen more emotional immaturity in the house of God than he's seen out in the world. And this is why it's so sad. Because if you have been saved, if you have come to Jesus Christ, accepted his death, his burial, and his resurrection... You have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that you can turn to and seek for guidance and that you can establish as a Lord over your life, over your emotions, over your behaviors. We have God. If you're here this morning and you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, let me invite you to trust in what Jesus has done for you. His motivation for bringing you into church this morning is because he loves you. And he wants to save you from your sin, from yourself. He wants to free you from the burdens that you carry, that guilt and that shame that is a crushing weight on you. You wish you could start over. Let me tell you something. That is what Jesus is offering you today. A new start and a new life. Now, will you have to deal with your old baggage? Yes. But you will have a new friend and a new life and a new spirit within you that will enable you to take those steps. I hope that you'll trust Jesus this morning. Hey, all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.